0: Will, did you come hungry today? Yes. Three of you. We've got to work on that. I think of the words out of Jeremiah chapter 15. It says, when your words came to me, I ate them and they were a joy and my heart's desire. So I ask you again, did you come hungry today? Yes. Are you ready to eat yes. today? So take your Bibles and find Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to dine on the Word of God together. Isaiah chapter 6 may be one of my very favorite passages in all of Scripture. This is, a, this is the text I preached the very first time that I tried to deliver a message. It was not very good. The text is great. The speaking wasn't good. The text remains great. We'll leave it at that. I appreciate Brother Campbell speaking for me last week in uh, light of, I don't know if you all know or not, but we had a grandbaby, just making it aware, and uh, I wanted to do this series, Michael and I have been talking for a while about doing a series just a couple weeks on the importance of worship, today will be in Isaiah chapter 6 talking about the beginnings of worship. You can read ahead next week. You're going to Psalm 145. And we're going to talk about the impact of worship. But here's what I believe with all of my heart. Worship is oftentimes misunderstood. Both in our lives and in our churches, worship is misunderstood and oftentimes practiced in a wrong way, a wrong heart, and a wrong manner. I have a conviction that we need to get worship right. Anybody else? We want to get worship right. And here's what some of you are going to say. Well, if we get worship right, then we're going to sing the old stuff. If we get worship right, we're going to sing the new stuff. Prior to our coming to to Fellowship Bible Church, we were had a couple churches that were looking at us and we would attend their services and I'll never forget the, the times that they would go, now we're going to praise and worship here and we're going to sing over here. And what they were talking about, we're going to do praise and worship songs in this part of the service and we're going to do hymns in this part of the service. We didn't go there. They had worship completely wrong. And let me, let me lob this at us today. If it's on your handout, if you're it, if you pay attention to it, it's really our thesis for the message this morning that a proper perspective of our worship will transform the practice of our worship. If we get a proper perspective of worship... It will transform the practice or the way we worship. And let me say at the beginning, worship is not a destination. We have signs out out in the lobby now that calls this the worship center. This is not a destination where you can only worship in here. Worship is not something you go into or that you come out of. Worship is not an event. Worship is not a church service. I've had people that have said to me in the past, not here yet, but at least in the past, have said that we only come for the singing. We really don't care for your preaching. Okay? And I've had other people who will come to churches for the preaching, but sit out in the lobby or in their car till the singing's over. Folks, if we, if we start to compartmentalize our services or our life, we have missed the point and the bright perspective of worship. All of life is worship. Amen. If you think that our worship time is what just happened with music and instruments, of which I'm so grateful for this team, are you not? If you think that that was the worship, but the offering was not, Then you missed it. And you know what amazes me? I've heard a lot of people leave churches and go, Man, the music was great today, right? I've had very few people leave and go, Man, the offering was fantastic. (laughs) But it's all worship. It's all worship. And I say again worship is not simply singing, nor is worship a genre. And here's what happens to us. If we get a misguided view of worship, we will miss worshiping God deeply. Can I say it again? If we get a misguided view of worship this morning, you and I will miss the opportunity to worship God as he commanded us to with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. So did you come hungry today? I hope so. Isaiah 6. Oh, I love this passage. Our old prophet called by God. Here in this passage, chapter 6, and we know that this, this chapter is written in 740 BC. You know how we know that? Because it says in verse 1, that's the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a real dude and he died in 740 BC. Isaiah sent by God to speak for God to God's people. And I don't know what the situation was that was taking place here. I don't know if he was at at church, if he was in the temple. I don't know if he was doing laundry. I don't know what his experience was. But I know, according to the text, he got worship right in this passage. He had a perspective on worship that allowed him to worship God deeply. So in honor of his word, would you stand with me? We're going to speak through the first eight verses today, but I want us to stand and honor God together as we read the first four. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. A seraphim were standing above him, and they each had six wings, and with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and two they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Father, may you be honored with our reading and of our study of you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Write this down somewhere, just on the top of your handout or on a note sheet somewhere, that worship is for God's glory and not for our experience. Worship is about God, not about us. Worship is about what we give to Him and not what we experience here today. So number one on your handout, if you and I want to have a right beginning to worship, we need an exalted vision of God. We need an exalted vision of God. Did you notice all that took place in these first four verses? Being in the presence of God will exalt your vision of God. It's interesting when you look at the context of this passage and and Scripture, it helps us understand Scripture, because if you chase all the way over to the New Testament, to John chapter 12, verse 41, John tells us, that the one that Isaiah is seeing here in chapter 6 is actually Christ. John is seeing the pre-incarnate Christ, not John, Isaiah, is seeing this pre-incarnate Christ and seven centuries before Jesus is ever born, this prophet stands in his presence. Now just, just get raptured in this thought with me for a moment. Whatever it was that Isaiah was doing in the year that King Uzziah died and circled these three words, I saw the Lord. I'm not going to ask you today if you've seen him physically, because we know what scripture teaches us about that. But I'm going to ask you today, have you seen him with spiritual eyes? Do you see him today as common and familiar or do you see him as high and lifted up? I can't imagine how Isaiah is trying to to process all that is going on here. And obviously it's after the event, he sits down and he tries to write for us what he has seen. It says that he saw the Lord seated on a throne. Why why would he see the pre-incarnate Christ The God of heaven seated on a throne because he's King of kings and Lord of lords and he's sovereign and he's ruler of all. Do you see him there today? Remember, a right perspective of worship will transform our practice of worship. Do you have a perspective of Christ today? as the one who is seated in heaven because that's where the king belongs, because that's where the Lord and Savior belongs. That's where our Redeemer is. That is the sovereign ruler of the earth, and he who has eminence over all is in the completed and seated position. Do you see him there today? Isaiah goes on. He goes, he's he's high and lifted up. Why high and lift it up? Because he's untouchable. He's glorious. He's grand and he's powerful. We try to make God common like us. We, we call him, he really gets on my last nerve. The big guy in the sky. Can I beg you this morning? If you ever reference God that way, stop it. He's not the big guy. He's not the man upstairs. He's king. And he's lord. And he's glorious. And he's powerful. And he's high and lifted up. That's what Isaiah saw. Isaiah is trying to tell you about all of this, and he goes, The train of his robe, it filled the whole temple. That robe is that which pictures the, that of royalty and eminence. And his glory didn't co- uh, occupy a piece or a section. It filled it up. It filled it up. And then there's these angelic beings. Aren't they interesting characters? These seraphim. Angelic creatures and they have two wings to fly. And with two wings, they cover their eyes and two wings, they cover their feet. Why do they cover their eyes? Because the glory of Jesus is so spectacular. They cover their feet because the holiness of God is so remarkable. You know when a preacher takes his glasses off, we're getting serious, right? You know what it means when a preacher takes his watch off, right? Nothing. We're going to be here as long as we want to be, but right there. Pause with me. Picture this setting. The seated Lord, high and lifted up, with his glory filling the temple, with angelic beings who are flying and hovering, covering their eyes because of his glory and his feet, their feet because of his holiness. What do you think their response would be? What would your response be? If we're really in that kind of presence of the Almighty, what should we say? Look at the text. And they called to one another, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the entire earth. Worship always begins with an exalted vision of God, it always starts there. Our problem is we have too small of a picture of God. Did you hear that this morning? We have too small of a vision of who God really is. Some of us have no vision of an exalted God. Some of us have a very small vision and a vision that is so so small of the reality and the grandeur and the glory and the might and the power of the Almighty that it never compels us to cry holy, holy, holy. A small vision of God never moves us to cry beautiful, 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 glorious, glorious, glorious. I think sometimes we come to church and we think maybe, maybe the worship team will make us thirsty. Maybe the worship team will, will help us get in the mood to worship and get in the mood to, to sing. But I can tell you this if you and I today have no opinion and no exaltation of a glorious God, we have no hope that a worship team is going to make us thirsty and hunger for righteousness. That's why I asked us this morning did you come hungry? Did you really want to experience the Almighty? Some of you are going, you know, if we can just get that beat right, if we can just get the right rhythm of the song, then I can, I can lift my hand, I, I can bow my head, I can do whatever. I, maybe I'll get goosebumps this morning. Folks, goosebumps aren't worship. An exalted hand is not worship. An exalted vision is worship. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the glory of his robe filled the temple. And there were angelic beings, and with two wings they flew, and two they covered their eyes, and two they covered the feet. And they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then verse 4 says the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. Folks, I long for us to come thirsty to the presence of God. Number two, if we're ever going to have an exalted vision of God, then we have to have a humble estimation of self if we're going to get God in the right position, in the right place of our worship, that He is above all and He's exalted over all and that He's sovereign and supreme, then we're going to have to have a true, humble estimation of ourself. Someone has said that an unveiled vision of God will result in an undone realization of self. If we don't get an unveiled exalted view of the Almighty, then we will always have an undone realization of who we really are. But when we see God in his purity and God in his majesty and God in his excellence and God in his justice and God in his grace, it changes our perspective. Let me put it to you this way. The higher that God appears, the higher that we exalt God, the smaller we become before God. When we get a right estimation, evaluation, exaltation of God, then we will have a smaller proclamation of self. I've said for years, ego will get tired of it one day. But when you get Jesus right, you'll get everything else right. Here's our problem. I think in worship, we try to make God like us, right? We, we, we try to make him just like us, and, and folks... I don't know about you, but I don't want to worship someone like me. I want to worship someone who's greater than me. Who's more exalted than me. We, we had this uh, men's skeet, was it skeet shooting? Am I saying that right? I learned this. Men and boys from West Virginia can shoot better than I can. I watched Andrew and Cliff and a bunch of you other guys get out there with their rifles and holler pull and could nail that target. I hollered pull and just fired because I knew I wasn't going to hit it. I don't want, understand the word I'm about to use. I don't want someone to teach me about skeet shooting who's no better at skeet shooting than I am. I want someone who's a little bit better. Now, I, you know, I, 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 I can follow some of you and I can clap when you hit those targets. I have a buddy of mine, surprisingly, some of you will laugh at this, who's a professional skeet shooter. He can tag him every time. What am I trying to say to you today? You don't want to make God just like you. You want him to be exalted above you. You want the perspective of to be greater you want the distance between who God is and who you and I are to be greater because of who he is and who we are and sometimes I think we just get bored in worship don't you don't raise your hand it hurt Michael's feelings but I think the reality is sometimes we get bored in worship We just go through the motions, maybe we sing, maybe we don't, maybe we open our Bibles, maybe we don't, maybe we give, maybe we don't, maybe we don't do any of it, and we're just in this mundane position. And here's what normally happens, and I can only speak for myself, when I catch myself getting bored in worship, it's normally because I'm absorbed with self. When I stop worshiping the exalted one, it's because I've started to elevate myself to the role and the position that he alone should have in my life. And did you notice what what Isaiah does? He says here in verse five, when he sees the Lord in this, this rightful position, an exalted position, he says, then I said, woe is me for I am ruined I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of the armies. Pretty awful place to get left, isn't it? Now watch it. I get an exalted view of God. This is who he is. This is where I am. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. I'm a wretched sinner. And thank God he doesn't leave us there. Because look what happens in verses 6 and 7. And then one of the seraphim flew to me. And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Do you get a witness on those two verses? This angelic host who went to the altar went to an altar and brought this burning coal to purify that which was Wicked and defiled and undone. Which takes you to your third point today an exalted view of God, a humble estimation of self, and an acceptance of the provision of God's grace. Seven centuries before Christ would ever take on humanity, he gives us the picture of redemption. And he took that from the altar and removed iniquity, and atoned for sin. That's why Paul writes in chapter 7, verse twenty-four: 24, oh, O wretched man that I am. Folks, with unclean hands and dark hearts, Anybody else this week who struggled with sin? Anyone else this week who wasn't faithful in all the things the Lord asked? Anyone else whose thoughts and motives were not always pure? And then we see this exalted vision of God, and that only requires us to have a humble estimation of ourselves and go, Woe is me, I'm undone. You know what undone means, don't you? I I can't stand. I have no footing. I have no availability. I I have nothing to offer. Only to see an atoning sacrifice and a purifying redemption come to us. And then we get worship. I believe this with all of my heart. That when I exalt Christ properly, I humble myself correctly, and I freely accept the grace that God has given me, step four falls into place pretty quickly. And that's just a simple willing submission to do God's will. Did you see verse eight? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will I send and who will go for us? This is Isaiah in the first person now speaking. And I said, here am I, send me. Folks, worship is always active. It's never passive. Worship is always a response. Worship is always a giving forth of that to which only God is worthy of. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true worship. Write this down somewhere. All of my life is worship, or it's supposed to be. All of our life is supposed to be worship. And the goal of worship is not to fill a space, but it's to overflow heart and gratitude. So how do you do this? If you, if, you, if you practice this with an exalted vision of God, a humble estimation of self, an acceptance of God's free gift and grace to you and I, and a willing willing submission to his will to say, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it. Whatever you ask me to give, I'll give. However you ask me to surrender, I will surrender. How are you going to live that out this week? I'll give you three things really quick. Every time you come before the Lord, come hungry and thirsty. Come hungry and thirsty. And here's the reality for you and I. If you come before the Lord and you are not hungering and thirsting after righteousness, if your belly is not growling for the things of God, if you are not parched for His holiness and His grace, the reality is you and I have satisfied our hunger and our thirst with something else. Every single time. So if you can, if you can ex- can come into the Word of God and never hunger for it, you filled your belly with other things. If you have no desire and thirst for the things of God, you've quenched that with something else. So get in the Bible. Get in this book. Learn it and know it and study it and treasure it. This is a newer Bible for me. It's not broken like I like it to be, but man, no book feels like this, does it? I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I don't want to just read words on a page. But, folks, I really do want an Isaiah 6 3 moment where, when I get a right vision of God, my only response is Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I want a prayer life that's so real and deep and rich that my very first prayer before I ask of anything else is simply, Lord, what do you want me to do? The prayer of a Samuel, speak, your servant is listening. And I think this is a true reality. You'll never be absent from this book and from prayer and time with him for six days and walk back into a room like this and think you're going to worship anything or anyone. That sounded like preaching, didn't it? You and I cannot be absent from time with Him and think someone else will help us be hungry and someone else will help us be thirsty. You create hunger and thirst by knowing Him. Number two, you'll practice this by never confusing music with majesty. Never confuse music with with majesty. Worship will never be about the mechanics. It'll it'll always be about the majesticness of the one and only true God. God God-centered people focus only on Him. Isaiah, not Isaiah, Hebrews says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Chronicles puts it this way. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom and you are as exalted as head over all. When you get Jesus right, anybody remember it? You get everything else right. Church, when you get Jesus right, you get everything else right. Matthew you got it, my friend. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. So how are you ever going to get here? How do I ever maintain focus and attention because is there anybody else in the room who's had great intentions you've listened to a message and go i'm going to be faithful this week i'm going to read my bible every day this week i'm going to pray every day this week and i get through half of it tomorrow morning until i've lost focus and attention and i fell off the wagon i'll tell you how it helps me number three i stay focused on the cross I stay focused on the cross. Because when I can focus on the cross, I understand it's there that he met my need. It's there that he paid for my sin. It's there that he justified me. It's there that he called me his son. It's there that he has redeemed me. It's there that he secured my eternity. And it's at the cross where I have hope and help. So yes, I want to come hungry. And yes, I want to make sure majesty is in the right role. But to do that properly, I simply have to focus on the cross of Christ where I see His beauty and I enjoy His grace and I rest in mercy and I'm satisfied by provisions and I'm undone in His presence. That's the beginning of worship. Who worships him? The Bible says we worship, it's the only command we have in scripture. We worship him in spirit and in truth. What is that truth? I'm a sinner in need of savior. Is that truth this morning? What else is Truth. that God paid the sin debt and he made the way. And the passage we read in Ephesians chapter two tells the story, doesn't? I'm not saved by my good works, I'm saved by his grace alone. And it's through him and him alone that we're redeemed. And if you're in this room today and you've never accepted the free gift of God's salvation, today is the very best day to do it. You've never had a better opportunity than you do right now. You've never had a better chance than to have the right exalted vision of God and the right estimation of self that I am a sinner and I need a savior. And when you get Jesus right, you'll get everything else right. So where you are right now, having never made that decision before, is there anyone in the room right now where you are that would simply pray the sinner's prayer? Lord, I need a savior today. I am a sinner and I can't do this on my own. Would you save me today through the free gift of your salvation. And the Bible says when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. And I hope you've made that decision this morning. Some of us, we've been doing this for so long, it's like walking in concrete shoes. We're stuck and we're weighted down we've gotten ourselves into a rote and routine position. And everything is just a rut. Dr. Falwell used to tell me the only difference between a rut and a grave is a rut has both ends kicked out on it. Folks, kick off the grave clothes and let's start living and let's start worshiping and let's start exalting the only one who's worthy. Michael, I'm going to ask if you and your team will make your way forward. They're going to lead us in another song. And we don't always do this at at Fellowship Bible Church and it seems to be the day that we don't always do things like we normally do at Fellowship Bible Church. That's a good thing. Years and years ago, there was a song that was made popular. The title was, That's What This Altar Is For. And while they may be steps that access a stage, I'm going to ask that we transition them to an altar where we humble ourselves before the Lord. And as we sing today and as we worship today and as we exalt the Holy One today, Maybe you find yourself here just needing to kneel before him. There's nothing spiritual about coming up here, but sometimes there's everything right about separating yourself and going, I just want to be in front of Jesus right now. If you need someone to pray with you, some of our leaders will be here and we can help pray with you today. But let's get this right today. Let's not leave here thinking someone else is going to make us hungry and someone else is going to make us thirsty. Let's just come to the Lord first and only and go, Lord, would you do it? Would you create a right hunger and thirst in me? Let's stand. Let's sing. And let God have his perfect way among us this morning.